Hey everyone, here's some supplemental stuff. I'm gonna call them full episodes because that's what they are. They're full episodes and it's not more Devil's Dictionary new. It's more Oz. I figured I'd uh, throw in that book that we skipped over that just had a little bit of Dorothy but not a lot of Dorothy. It's the second Oz book and it just kind of has some Dorothy but it does fill in the gaps between... Uh, book one and book three if you're like wait a minute what happened hey what's this thing about this who's that what huh we're gonna have it and you know what we're gonna give it to you and you know who's gonna help us give it to you found item clothing of course you can get all of your favorite cool guy cool gal cool everyone t-shirts I love my uh, my Revenge of the Nerds uh, booger-type t-shirts that I have, like uh, Greasy Tonys and uh, other ones that I'm not going to say because this is a family episode. So, you know, hey, if you want sassy t-shirts from your favorite 80s and 90s films, founditemclothing.com. And of course, of course, of course, Highland Cow Wooly Bull Slippers. They're just called Highland Cow Slippers, but I like saying Wooly Bull. All right. Check out... Um, bunnyslippers.com. Hey, do you like uh, those those uh, slippers that Val Kilmer's character, Christopher Knight, I think it is, wore in Real Genius? Oh, they've got everything you need, even the little dealy bobber things, the alien uh, things that he wore. They've got the whole outfit. I mean, you have to supply the pants and the socks and the underwear. I don't know if he wore underwear. That's, that's up to you. That's between you and your creator, or your concept of philosophy of whatever i don't care hey you want to listen to some oz i've got some oz and also 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 not for this we've got uh some ken height coming up on people's guide to the cthulhu mythos our monthly show about the cthulhu mythos you know it you like it maybe hopefully i don't know <laughs> and ken height's going to be talking about ghouls in literature because we're going to be talking about ghouls and also, we've got some stuff coming up from David Heath about alternate forms of Dracula. And what else do we have coming up? We've got some talk about the Devil's Dictionary with David Heath as well. So, look forward to that. Hey, do you have something that you want to send me? Do you have questions that you want to ask? We'll do mailbag episodes here and once in a while, but right now we need more people to send some stuff. We got some real good questions from a guy named Mateo. Mateo, thank you for your questions. And anyone else out there who has questions for us, go to pgttcm.com, contact, or ask questions on our Facebook group for People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos and Black Clock Audio Tales. And we're also on Instagram. Here we go! Recording by Phil Chenevere. The Patchwork Girl of Oz by L. Frank Baum Prologue Through the kindness of Dorothy Gale of Kansas, afterward Princess Dorothy of Oz, an humble writer in the United States of America was once appointed Royal Historian of Oz with the privilege of writing the chronicle of that wonderful fairyland. But after making six books about the adventures of those interesting but queer people who live in the land of Oz, the historian learned with sorrow that by an edict of the supreme ruler, Ozma of Oz, her country would thereafter be rendered invisible to all who lived outside its borders, and that all communication with Oz would, in the future, be cut off. The children who had learned to look for the books about Oz and who loved the stories about the gay and happy people inhabiting that favored country, were as sorry as their historian that there would be no more books of Oz stories. They wrote many letters, asking if the historian did not know of some adventures to write about that had happened before the land of Oz was shut out from all the rest of the world, but he did not know of any. Finally one of the children inquired, why we couldn't hear from Princess Dorothy by wireless telegraph, which would enable her to communicate to the historian whatever happened in the far-off land of Oz without his seeing her, or even knowing just where Oz is. This seemed a good idea, so the historian rigged up a high tower in his backyard and took lessons in wireless telegraphy until he understood it and then began to call Princess Dorothy of Oz by sending messages into the air. 
Now, it wasn't likely that Dorothy would be looking for wireless messages, or would heed the call, but one thing the historian was sure of, and that was that the powerful sorceress, Glinda, would know what he was doing and that he desired to communicate with Dorothy. For Glinda has a big book in which is recorded every event that takes place anywhere in the world just the moment that it happens. And so, of course, the book would tell her about the wireless message. And that was the way Dorothy heard that the historian wanted to speak with her, and there was a shaggy man in the land of Oz who knew how to telegraph a wireless reply. The result was that the historian begged so hard to be told the latest news of Oz so that he could write it down for the children to read, that Dorothy asked permission of Ozma, and Ozma graciously consented. That is why, after two long years of waiting, another Oz story is now presented to the children of America. This would not have been possible had not some clever man invented the wireless, and an equally clever child suggested the idea of reaching the mysterious land of Oz by its means. L. Frank Baum, Oscott, at Hollywood in California. End of Prologue Chapter 1 Ojo and Unc Nunky. Where's the butter, Unc Nunky? asked Ojo. Unc looked out of the window and stroked his long beard. Then he turned to the munchkin boy and shook his head. "'Isn't,' said he. "'Isn't any butter? That's too bad, Unc. Where's the jam, then?' inquired Ojo, standing on a stool so he could look through all the shelves of the cupboard. But Unc Nunky shook his head again. "'Gone,' he said. "'No jam, either? And no cake? No jelly? No apples? Nothing but bread?' "'All,' said Unc again stroking his beard as he gazed from the window. The little boy brought the stool and sat beside his uncle, munching the dry bread slowly and seeming in deep thought. "'Nothing grows in our yard but the bread-tree,' he mused. "'And there are only two more loaves on that tree, and they're not ripe yet. Tell me, Unc, why are we so poor?' The old munchkin turned and looked at Ojo. He had kindly eyes. But he hadn't smiled or laughed in so long that the boy had forgotten that Unc Nunky could look any other way than solemn. And Unc never spoke any more words than he was obliged to, so his little nephew, who lived alone with him, had learned to understand a great deal from one word. "'Why are we so poor, Unc?' repeated the boy. "'Not,' said the old munchkin. "'I think we are,' declared Ojo. What have we got? House, said Unc Nunky. I know, but everyone in the land of Oz has a place to live. What else, Unc? Bread. I'm eating the last loaf that's ripe. There, I've put aside your share, Unc. It's on the table, so you can eat it when you get hungry. But when that is gone, what shall we eat, Unc? The old man shifted in his chair, but merely shook his head. "'Of course,' said Ojo, who was obliged to talk, because his uncle would not. "'No one starves in the land of Oz, either. "'There is plenty for everyone, you know. "'Only, if it isn't just where you happen to be, you must go where it is.' The aged munchkin wriggled again and stared at his small nephew, as if disturbed by his argument. "'By tomorrow morning,' the boy went on, we must go where there is something to eat, or we shall grow very hungry and become very unhappy. Where? asked Unc. Where shall we go? I don't know, I'm sure, replied Ojo. But you must know, Unc. You must have traveled in your time because you're so old. I don't remember it because ever since I could remember anything, we've lived right here in this lonesome round house with a little garden back of it and the thick woods all around. All I've ever seen of the great land of Oz, Unc, dear, 
is the view of that mountain over at the south, where they say the hammerheads live, who won't let anybody go by them, and that mountain to the north, where they say nobody lives. One, declared Unc, correcting him. Oh, yes, one family lives there, I've heard. That's the crooked magician, who is named Dr. Pipt, and his wife Margolotti. One year you told me about them. I think it took you a whole year, Unc, to say as much as I've ever said about the crooked magician and his wife. They live high up on the mountain, and the good munchkin country where the fruits and flowers grow is just the other side. It's funny you and I should live here all alone, in the middle of the forest, isn't it? Yes, said Unc. Then let's go away and visit the munchkin country and its jolly good-natured people. I'd love to get a sight of something beside woods, Unc Nunky. Too little, said Unc. Why, I'm not so little as I used to be, answered the boy earnestly. I think I can walk as far and as fast through the woods as you can, Unc. And now that nothing grows in our backyard that is good to eat, we must go where there is food. Unc Nunky made no reply for a time. Then he shut down the window and turned his chair to face the room, for the sun was sinking behind the treetops, and it was growing cool. By and by, Ojo lighted the fire, and the logs blazed freely in the broad fireplace. The two sat in the firelight a long time. The old, white-bearded munchkin and the little boy. Both were thinking. When it grew quite dark outside, Ojo said, Eat your bread, Unc, and then we will go to bed. But Unc Nunky did not eat the bread. Neither did he go directly to bed. Long after his little nephew was sound asleep in the corner of the room, the old man sat by the fire, thinking. End of chapter 1 Chapter 2 The Crooked Magician Just at dawn next morning, Unc Nunky laid his hand tenderly on Ojo's head and wakened him. Come, he said. Ojo dressed. He wore blue silk stockings, blue knee pants with gold buckles, a blue ruffled waist, and a jacket of bright blue braided with gold. His shoes were of blue leather and turned up at the toes, which were pointed. His hat had a peaked crown and a flat brim, and around the brim was a row of tiny golden bells that tinkled when he moved. This was the native costume of those who inhabited the munchkin country of the Land of Oz, so Unc Nunky's dress was much like that of his nephew. Instead of shoes, the old man wore boots with turnover tops, and his blue coat had wide cuffs of gold braid. The boy noticed that his uncle had not eaten the bread, and supposed the old man had not been hungry. Ojo was hungry, though. So he divided the piece of bread upon the table, and ate his half for breakfast, washing it down with fresh cool water from the brook. Unc put the other piece of bread in his jacket pocket, after which he again said, as he walked out through the doorway, Come. Kojo was well pleased. He was dreadfully tired of living all alone in the woods, and wanted to travel and see people. For a long time he had wished to explore the beautiful land of Oz in which they lived. When they were outside, Unc simply latched the door and started up the path. No one would disturb their little house, even if anyone came so far into the thick forest while they were gone. At the foot of the mountain that separated the country of the Munchkins from the country of the Gillikins, the path divided. One way led to the left and the other to the right straight up the mountain. Unc Nunky took this right-hand path, and Ojo followed him without asking why. He knew it would take them to the house of the crooked magician, whom he had never seen, but who was their nearest neighbor. All the morning they trudged up the mountain path, and at noon Unc and Ojo sat on a fallen tree-trunk and ate the last of the bread which the old munchkin had placed in his pocket. 
Then they started on again, and two hours later came in sight of the house of Dr. Pipt. It was a big house, round, as were all the Munchkin houses, and painted blue, which is the distinctive color of the Munchkin country of Oz. There was a pretty garden around the house, where blue trees and blue flowers grew in abundance, and in one place were beds of blue cabbages, blue carrots, and blue lettuce, all of which were delicious to eat. In Dr. Pipt's garden grew bun trees, cake trees, cream puff bushes, blue buttercups, which yielded excellent blue butter, and a row of chocolate caramel plants. Paths of blue gravel divided the vegetable and flower beds, and a wider path led up to the front door. The place was in a clearing on the mountain, but a little way off was the grim forest which completely surrounded it. Unk knocked at the door of the house, and a chubby, pleasant-faced woman, dressed all in blue, opened it and greeted the visitors with a smile. "'Ah,' said Ojo, "'you must be Dame Margolotte, the good wife of Dr. Pipt. I am, my dear, and all strangers are welcome to my home. May we see the famous magician, madam?' "'He is very busy just now,' she said, shaking her head doubtfully. But come in and let me give you something to eat, for you must have traveled far in order to get to our lonely place. We have, replied Ojo, as he and Unc entered the house. We have come from a far lonelier place than this. A lonelier place? And in Munchkin country? she exclaimed. Then it must be somewhere in the blue forest. It is, good dame Margolot. Dear me! she said, looking at the man. You must be Uncle Nanki, known as the Silent One. Then she looked at the boy. And you must be Ojo the Unlucky, she added. Yes, said Unc. I never knew I was called the Unlucky, said Ojo soberly. But it is really a good name for me. Well, remarked the woman, as she bustled around the room and set the table and brought food from the cupboard. You were unlucky to live all alone in that dismal forest, which is much worse than the forest around here. But perhaps your luck will change now you are away from it. If during your travels you can manage to lose that un at the beginning of your name unlucky, you will then become Ojo the Lucky, which will be a great improvement. How can I lose that un, Dame Morgulot? I do not know how, but you must keep the matter in mind, and perhaps the chance will come to you, she replied. Ojo had never eaten such a fine meal in all his life. There was a savory stew, smoking hot, a dish of blue peas, a bowl of sweet milk of a delicate blue tint, and a blue pudding with blue plums in it. When the visitors had eaten heartily of this fare, the woman said to them, do you wish to see Dr. Pipt on business or for pleasure? Unc shook his head. We are traveling, replied Ojo, and we stopped at your house just to rest and refresh ourselves. I do not think Unc Nunky cares very much to see the famous crooked magician, but for my part I am curious to look at such a great man. The woman seemed thoughtful. I remember that Unc Nunky and my husband used to be friends many years ago, she said, so perhaps they will be glad to meet again. The magician is very busy, as I said, but if you will promise not to disturb him, you may come into his workshop and watch him prepare a wonderful charm. Thank you, replied the boy, much pleased. I would like to do that. She led the way to a great domed hall at the back of the house, which was the magician's workshop. There was a row of windows extending nearly around the sides of the circular room, which rendered the place very light, and there was a back door in addition to the one leading to the front part of the house. Before the row of windows a broad seat was built, and there were some chairs and benches in the room besides. At one end stood a great fireplace, in which a blue log was blazing with a blue flame, 
and over the fire hung four kettles in a row, all bubbling and steaming at a great rate. The magician was stirring all four of these kettles at the same time, two with his hands and two with his feet. To the latter wooden ladles had been strapped, for this man was so very crooked that his legs were as handy as his arms. Unc Nunky came forward to greet his old friend, but not being able to shake either his hands or his feet, which were all occupied in stirring, he patted the magician's bald head and asked, "'What?' "'Ah, it's the silent one,' remarked Dr. Pipt, without looking up. "'And he wants to know what I'm making. Well, when it is quite finished, this compound will be the wonderful powder of life, which no one knows how to make but myself.' Whenever it is sprinkled on anything, that thing will at once come to life, no matter what it is. It takes me several years to make this magic powder, but at this moment I am pleased to say it is nearly done. You see, I am making it for my good wife, Margalotte, who wants to use some of it for a purpose of her own. Sit down and make yourself comfortable, Unc Nunky and after I've finished my task I will talk to you." "'You must know,' said Margalotte, when they were all seated together on the broad window-seat, "'that my husband foolishly gave away all the powder of life he first made to old Mumby the Witch, who used to live in the country of the Gillikins to the north of here. Mumby gave to Dr. Pipt a powder of perpetual youth in exchange for his powder of life, but she cheated him wickedly, for the power of youth was no good and could work no magic at all. Perhaps the powder of life couldn't either, said Ojo. Yes, it is perfection, she declared. The first lot we tested on our glass cat, which not only began to live, but has lived ever since. She's somewhere around the house now. A glass cat, exclaimed Ojo, astonished. Yes, she makes a very pleasant companion, but admires herself a little more than is considered modest, and she positively refuses to catch mice, explained Margalot. My husband made the cat some pink brains, but they proved to be too high-bred and particular for a cat, so she thinks it is undignified in her to catch mice. Also she has a pretty blood-red heart but it is made of stone, a ruby, I think, and so is rather hard and unfeeling. I think the next glass cat the magician makes will have neither brains nor heart, for then it will not object to catching mice and may prove of some use to us. What did old Mumby the witch do with the powder of life your husband gave her? asked the boy. She brought Jack Pumpkinhead to life, for one thing, was the reply. I suppose you've heard of Jack Pumpkinhead. He is now living near the Emerald City, and is a great favorite with the Princess Ozma, who rules all the Land of Oz. No, I've never heard of him, remarked Ojo. I'm afraid I don't know much about the Land of Oz. You see, I've lived all my life with Unc Nunky, the Silent One, and there was no one to tell me anything. "'That is one reason you are Ojo the Unlucky,' said the woman in a sympathetic tone. "'The more one knows, the luckier he is, for knowledge is the greatest gift of life. "'But tell me, please, what you intend to do with this new lot of the powder of life which Dr. Pipt is making. "'He said his wife wanted it for some special purpose.' "'So I do,' she answered. I want to bring my patchwork girl to life. Oh, a patchwork girl? What is that? Ojo asked, for this seemed even more strange and unusual than a glass cat. I think I must show you my patchwork girl, said Margalot, laughing at the boy's astonishment, for she is rather difficult to explain. But first I will tell you that for many years I have longed for a servant to help me with the housework and to cook the meals and wash the dishes. No servant will come here, because the place is so lonely and out of the way. So my clever husband, the crooked magician, proposed that I make a girl out of some sort of material 
and he would make her live by sprinkling over her the powder of life. This seemed an excellent suggestion, and at once Dr. Pipt set to work to make a new batch of his magic powder. He has been at it a long, long while, and so I have had plenty of time to make the girl. Yet that task was not so easy as you may suppose. At first I couldn't think what to make her of, but finally, in searching through a chest, I came across an old patchwork quilt which my grandmother once made when she was young. "'What's a patchwork quilt?' asked Ojo. "'A bed quilt made of patches of different kinds and colors of cloth, all neatly sewn together. The patches are of all shapes and sizes, so a patchwork quilt is a very pretty and gorgeous thing to look at. Sometimes it is called a crazy quilt, because the patches and colors are so mixed up. We never have used my grandmother's many-colored patchwork quilt, handsome as it is, for we munchkins do not care for any color other than blue, so it has been packed away in the chest for about a hundred years. When I found it, I said to myself that it would do nicely for my servant girl, for when she was brought to life she would not be proud nor haughty, as the glass cat is, for such a dreadful mixture of colors would discourage her from trying to be as dignified as the blue munchkins are. "'Is blue the only respectable color, then?' inquired Ojo. "'Yes, for a munchkin. All our country is blue, you know. But in other parts of Oz the people favor different colors. At Emerald City, where our Princess Ozma lives, green is the popular color. But all munchkins prefer blue to anything else, and when my housework girl is brought to life she will find herself to be of so many unpopular colors that she'll never dare be rebellious or impudent, as servants are sometimes liable to be when they are made the same way their mistresses are. Unc Nunky nodded approval. Good idea, he said, and that was a long speech for Unc Nunky, because it was two words. So I cut up the quilt, continued Morgulot, and made from it a very well-shaped girl, which I stuffed with cotton wadding. I will show you what a good job I did. And she went to a tall cupboard and threw open the doors. Then back she came, lugging in her arms the patchwork girl, which she set upon the bench and propped up so that the figure would not tumble over. End of chapter 2 Chapter 3 The Patchwork Girl Ojo examined this curious contrivance with wonder. The patchwork girl was taller than he when she stood upright, and her body was plump and rounded because it had been so neatly stuffed with cotton. Margolot had first made the girl's form from the patchwork quilt, and then she had dressed it with a patchwork skirt and an apron with pockets in it, using the same gay material throughout. Upon the feet she had sewn a pair of red leather shoes with pointed toes. All the fingers and thumbs of the girl's hands had been carefully formed and stuffed and stitched at the edges with gold plates at the end to serve as fingernails. "'She will have to work when she comes to life,' said Morgulot. The head of the patchwork girl was the most curious part of her. While she waited for her husband to finish making his powder of life, the woman had found ample time to complete the head as her fancy dictated, and she realized that a good servant's head must be properly constructed. The hair was of brown yarn and hung down on her neck in several neat braids. Her eyes were two silver suspender buttons cut from a pair of the magician's old trousers, and they were sewed on with black threads which formed the pupils of the eyes. Margolot had puzzled over the ears for some time, for these were important if the servant was to hear distinctly, but finally she had made them out of thin plates of gold and attached them in places by means of stitches through tiny holes bored in the metal. 
Gold is the most common metal in the land of Oz, and is used for many purposes because it is soft and pliable. The woman had cut a slit for the patchwork girl's mouth, and sewn two rows of white pearls in it for teeth, using a strip of scarlet plush for a tongue. The mouth Ojo constructed very artistic and lifelike, and Morgulot was pleased when the boy praised it. There were almost too many patches on the face of the girl for her to be considered strictly beautiful, for one cheek was yellow and the other red, her chin blue, her forehead purple, and the center, where her nose had been formed and padded, a bright yellow. "'You ought to have had her face all pink,' suggested the boy. "'I suppose so, but I had no pink cloth,' replied the woman. "'Still I cannot see as if it matters much, for I wish my patchwork girl to be useful rather than ornamental. If I get tired looking at her patched face, I can whitewash it. "'Has she any brains?' asked Ojo. "'No! I forgot all about the brains!' exclaimed the woman. "'I am glad you reminded me of them, for it is not too late to supply them by any means. Until she is brought to life I can do anything I please with this girl, but I must be careful not to give her too much brains, and those she has must be such as are fitted to the station she is to occupy in life.' In other words, her brains mustn't be very good. Wrong, said Unc Nunky. No, I am sure I am right about that, returned the woman. He means, explained Ojo, that unless your servant has good brains, she won't know how to obey you properly, nor do the things you ask her to do. Well, that may be true, answered Morgulot. But on the contrary, a servant with too much brains is sure to become independent and high and mighty and feel above her work. This is a very delicate task, as I said, and I must take care to give the girl just the right amount of the right sort of brains. I want her to know just enough, but not too much. With this she went to another cupboard, which was filled with shelves. All the shelves were lined with blue glass bottles, neatly labeled by the magician to show what they contained. One whole shelf was marked Brain Furniture, and the bottles on this shelf were labeled as follows. Obedience, Cleverness, Judgment, Courage, Ingenuity, Amiability, Learning, Truth, Posy, Self-reliance. Let me see, said Margolot. Of those qualities she must have, obedience first of all. And she took down the bottle bearing that label, and poured from it upon a dish several grains of the contents. Amiability is also good and truth. She poured into the dish a quantity from each of these bottles. I think that will do, she continued, for the other qualities are not needed in a servant. Unc Nunky, who with Ojo stood beside her, touched the bottle marked cleverness. Little, said he. A little cleverness? Well, perhaps you are right, sir, said she, and was about to take down the bottle when the crooked magician suddenly called to her excitedly from the fireplace. "'Quick, Margolot, come and help me!' She ran to her husband's side at once, and helped him lift the four kettles from the fire. Their contents had all boiled away, leaving in the bottle of each kettle a few grains of fine white powder. Very carefully the magician removed this powder, placing it all together in a golden dish, where he mixed it with a golden spoon. When the mixture was complete, there was scarcely a handful, all told. "'That,' said Dr. Pipt, in a pleased and triumphant tone, "'is the wonderful powder of life which I alone in the world know how to make. It has taken me nearly six years to prepare these precious grains of dust, but the little heap on that dish 
is worth the price of a kingdom, and many a king would give all he has to possess it. When it has become cooled, I will place it in a small bottle. But meantime, I must watch it carefully, lest a gust of wind blow it away or scatter it. Unc Nunky, Morgulot, and the magician all stood looking at the marvelous powder, but Ojo was more interested just then in the patchwork girl's brains. Thinking it both unfair and unkind to deprive her of any good qualities that were handy, the boy took down every bottle on the shelf and poured some of the contents in Margolot's dish. No one saw him do this, for all were looking at the powder of life. But soon the woman remembered what she had been doing, and came back to the cupboard. "'Let's see,' she remarked. "'I was about to give my girl a little cleverness. Which is the doctor's substitute for intelligence? A quality he has not yet learned how to manufacture.' Taking down the bottle of cleverness, she added some of the powder to the heap on the dish. Ojo became a bit uneasy at this, for he had already put quite a lot of the cleverness powder in the dish. But he dared not interfere, and so he comforted himself with the thought that one cannot have too much cleverness. Margolot now carried the dish of brains to the bench. Ripping the seam of the patch on the girl's forehead, she placed the powder within the head, and then sewed up the seam as neatly and securely as before. "'My girl is all ready for your powder of life, my dear,' she said to her husband. But the magician replied, "'This powder must not be used before tomorrow morning, but I think it is now cool enough to be bottled.' He selected a small gold bottle with a pepper box top, so that the powder might be sprinkled on any object through the small holes. Very carefully he placed the powder of life in the gold bottle, and then locked it up in a drawer of his cabinet. "'At last,' said he, rubbing his hands together gleefully, "'I have ample leisure for a good talk with my old friend Unc Nunky, so let us sit down cozily and enjoy ourselves.' After stirring those four kettles for six years, I am glad to have a little rest. "'You will have to do most of the talking,' said Ojo, "'for Unk is called the Silent One and uses few words.' "'I know, but that renders your uncle a most agreeable companion and gossip,' declared Dr. Pipt. "'Most people talk too much, so it is a relief to find one who talks too little.' Ojo looked at the magician with much awe and curiosity. "'Don't you find it very annoying to be so crooked?' he asked. "'No, I am quite proud of my person,' was the reply. "'I suppose I am the only crooked magician in all the world. Some others are accused of being crooked, but I am the only genuine.' He was really very crooked and Ojo wondered how he managed to do many things with such a twisted body. When he sat down upon a crooked chair that had been made to fit him, one knee was under his chin, and the other near the small of his back. But he was a cheerful man, and his face bore a pleasant and agreeable expression. "'I am not allowed to perform magic, except for my own amusement.' he told his visitors, as he lighted a pipe with a crooked stem and began to smoke. Too many people were working magic in the land of Oz, and so our lovely Princess Ozma put a stop to it. I think she was quite right. There were several wicked witches who caused a lot of trouble, but now they are all out of business and only the great sorceress Glinda the Good is permitted to practice her arts which never harm anybody. The Wizard of Oz, who used to be a humbug and knew no magic at all, has been taking lessons of Glinda, and I'm told he is getting to be a pretty good wizard, but he is merely the assistant of the great sorceress. I've the right to make a servant girl for my wife, you know, 
or a glass cat to catch our mice, which she refuses to do. But I am forbidden to work magic for others or to use it as a profession. Magic must be a very interesting study, said Ojo. It truly is, asserted the magician. In my time I've performed some magical feats that were worthy of the skill of Glinda the Good. For instance, there's the powder of life and my liquid of petrifaction, which is contained in that bottle on the shelf yonder, over the window. What does the liquid of petrifaction do? inquired the boy. Turns everything it touches to solid marble. It's an invention of my own, and I find it very useful. Once two of those dreadful Kalidas, with bodies like bears and heads like tigers, came here from the forest to attack us, but I sprinkled some of that liquid on them, and instantly they turned to marble. I now use them as ornamental statuary in my garden. This table looks to you like wood, and once it really was wood, but I sprinkled a few drops of the liquid of petrifaction on it, and now it is marble. It will never break nor wear out. Fine, said Unc Nunkie, wagging his head and stroking his long gray beard. Dear me, what a chatterbox you're getting to be, Unc, remarked the magician, who was pleased with the compliment. But just then there came a scratching at the back door, and a shrill voice cried, Let me in! Hurry up, can't you? Let me in! Margolot got up and went to the door. Ask like a good cat, then, she said. Meow! There, does that suit your royal highness? asked the voice in scornful accents. Yes, that's proper cat talk, declared the woman, and opened the door. At once a cat entered, came to the center of the room, and stopped short at the sight of strangers. Ojo and Unc Nunkie both stared at it with wide-open eyes, for surely no such curious creature had ever existed before, even in the land of Oz. End of Chapter 3 Chapter 4 the Glass Cat The cat was made of glass, so clear and transparent that you could see through it as easily as through a window. In the top of its head, however, was a mass of delicate pink balls, which looked like jewels, and it had a heart made of a blood-red ruby. The eyes were two large emeralds, but aside from these colors, all the rest of the animal was clear glass. And it had a spun-glass tail that was really beautiful. "'Well, Doc Pipt, do you mean to introduce us or not?' demanded the cat in a tone of annoyance. "'Seems to me you are forgetting your manners.' "'Excuse me,' returned the magician. "'This is Unc Nunkie, the descendant of the former kings of the Munchkins, before this country became a part of the land of Oz. "'He needs a haircut,' observed the cat, washing its face. <laughs> "'True,' replied Unc, with a low chuckle of amusement. "'But he has lived alone in the heart of the forest for many years,' the magician explained. "'And although that is a barbarous country, there are no barbers there.' "'Who is the dwarf?' asked the cat. "'That is not a dwarf, but a boy,' answered the magician. "'You have never seen a boy before. "'He is now small because he is young. "'With more years he will grow big and become as tall as Unc Nunkie.' "'Oh, is that magic?' the glass animal inquired. "'Yes, but it is nature's magic, "'which is more wonderful than any art known to man.' For instance, my magic made you and made you live, and it was a poor job because you are useless and a bother to me, but I can't make you grow. You will always be the same size, and the same saucy, inconsiderate glass cat with pink brains and a hard ruby heart. No one can regret more than I the fact that you made me, asserted the cat, 
crouching upon the floor and slowly swaying its spun-glass tail from side to side. Your world is a very uninteresting place. I've wandered through your gardens and in the forest until I'm tired of it all, and when I come into the house the conversation of your fat wife and of yourself bores me dreadfully. That is because I gave you different brains from those we ourselves possess, and much too good for a cat, returned Dr. Pipt. Can't you take them out, then, and replace them with pebbles, so that I won't feel above my station in life? asked the cat pleadingly. Perhaps so. I'll try it after I've brought the patchwork girl to life, he said. The cat walked up to the bench on which the patchwork girl reclined, and looked at her attentively. Are you going to make that dreadful thing live? she asked. The magician nodded. It is intended to be my wife's servant-maid, he said. When she is alive, she will do all our work and mind the house. And you are not to order her around, Bungle, as you do us. You must treat the patchwork girl respectfully. I won't. I couldn't respect such a bundle of scraps under any circumstances. If you don't, there will be more scraps than you will like, cried Margolot angrily. Why didn't you make her pretty to look at? asked the cat. You made me pretty, very pretty indeed, and I love to watch my pink brains roll around when they're working, and to see my precious red heart beat. She went to a long mirror as she said this, and stood before it looking at herself with an air of much pride. But that poor patched thing will hate itself when she's once alive, continued the cat. If I were you, I'd use her for a mop and make another servant that is prettier. You have a perverted taste, snapped Margolot, much annoyed at this frank criticism. I think the patchwork girl is beautiful, considering what she's made of. Even the rainbow hasn't as many colors, and you must admit that the rainbow is a pretty thing. The glass cat yawned and stretched herself upon the floor. Have your own way, she said. I'm sorry for the patchwork girl, that's all. Ojo and Unc Nunky slept that night in the magician's house, and the boy was glad to stay because he was anxious to see the patchwork girl brought to life. The glass cat was also a wonderful creature to little Ojo, who had never seen or known anything of magic before, although he had lived in the fairyland of Oz ever since he was born. Back there in the woods, nothing unusual ever happened. Unc Nunky, who might have been king of the Munchkins, had not his people united with all the other countries of Oz, and acknowledging Ozma as their sole ruler, had retired into this forgotten forest nook with his baby nephew, and they had lived all alone there. Only that the neglected garden had failed to grow food for them, they would always have lived in the solitary blue forest. But now... They had started out to mingle with other people, and the first place they came to proved so interesting that Ojo could scarcely sleep a wink all night. Margolot was an excellent cook, and gave them a fine breakfast. While they were all engaged in eating, the good woman said, "'This is the last meal I shall have to cook for some time, for right after breakfast, Dr. Pipt has promised to bring my new servant to life. I shall let her wash the breakfast dishes and sweep and dust the house. What a relief it will be! It will indeed relieve you of much drudgery, said the magician. By the way, Margolot, I thought I saw you getting some brains from the cupboard while I was busy with my kettles. What qualities have you given your new servant? Only those that a humble servant requires, she answered. I do not wish her to feel above her station, as the glass cat does. That would make her discontented and unhappy, for of course 
she must always be a servant. Ojo was somewhat disturbed as he listened to this, and the boy began to fear he had done wrong in adding all those different qualities of brains to the lot Margolotte had prepared for the servant. But it was too late now for regret, since all the brains were securely sewn up inside the patchwork girl's head. He might have confessed what he had done and thus allowed Margolotte and her husband to change the brains, but he was afraid of incurring their anger. He believed that Unc had seen him add to the brains, and Unc had not said a word against it, but then Unc never did say anything unless it was absolutely necessary. As soon as breakfast was over, they all went into the magician's big workshop, where the glass cat was lying before the mirror, and the patchwork girl lay limp and lifeless upon the bench. Now then, said Dr. Pip in a brisk tone, we shall perform one of the greatest feats of magic possible to man, even in this marvelous land of Oz. In no other country could it be done at all. I think we ought to have a little music while the patchwork girl comes to life. It is pleasant to reflect that the first sounds her golden ears will hear will be delicious music. As he spoke, he went to a phonograph, which was screwed flat to a small table, and wound up the spring of the instrument and adjusted the big gold horn. The music my servant will usually hear, remarked Morgulot, will be my orders to do her work. But I see no harm in allowing her to listen to this unseen band while she wakens to her first realization of life. My orders will beat the band afterward. The phonograph was now playing a stirring march tune, and the magician unlocked his cabinet and took out the gold bottle containing the powder of life. They all bent over the bench on which the patchwork girl reclined. Unc Nunky and Margolotte stood behind near the windows, Ojo at one side and the magician in front, where he would have freedom to sprinkle the powder. The glass cat came near, too, curious to watch the important scene. All ready? asked Dr. Pipt. All is ready, answered his wife. So the magician leaned over and shook from the bottle some grains of the wonderful powder, and they fell directly on the patchwork girl's head and arms. End of chapter 4 Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to these extra episodes of The Patchwork Girl of Oz. I'm your host, D.B. Spitzer, and if you want to help this show and make sure that it is here in the future, you can always go to pgttcm.com and learn how to be a patron, not through Patreon, but through podbean.com, and it helps the show, and if you're interested, I have things like coloring books, and uh, which I'm updating, stuff for an RPG that I'm working on, that I'm updating as I'm working on it, and I haven't any plans for any extra episodes yet. And if, uh, you know, that's not enough interaction for you, how about something that you can wear? Go to pgttcm.com, hit that shop button. You'll find shirts for this show. You'll find shirts for Dave's show. There's probably some articulate warbling shirts in there. Anyway, everything that you find on pgttcm.com, you'll find there. And of course, hey, bunnyslippers.com. Check out their Highland Cow Slippers. They're pretty cool. I like them. They keep my feet warm. And they dust the floor as I walk around, which actually, no, I sweep, so that's not even a thing. Anyway, hey, let me know that you listen to the show. I want to I wanna know if you're actually out there. I, I, I get numbers, but I don't know if it's just bots these days. So thank you so much for listening, and stay safe, stay clean, stay out of other people's moist throat zone moist vapor zone moist whatever it is just you know that's bad news and uh i i can't think of anything else but you know hey stay safe 
if if you're working and listening to this, hey, I'm I'm right there with you. I, I I've got a job packaging food and shipping it out, and yeah, no, we have uh, folks shipping our stuff through Amazon constantly and UPS and all the people out there are doing hard work. You know what? And uh, just a shout out to the folks at Panco. Uh, look up uh, mushroomjerky.com. That's 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 something out there. It's it's super shelf stable. You can do things like take like a quart of milk, throw some in there, microwave it for about three minutes. You got yourself some mushroom soup. Anyway, that's just a tip from me. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, thank you, uh, Pan Mushroom, for employing me and also creating a product that's like really good. Uh, tasty and wonderful uh, during this time of need when people need something other than just, I don't know, potato chips or something. It's a plant-based protein, and it's jerky. And you know what? Hey, everyone, you know what? Stay safe, stay awesome, and... uh, Oh, man, I just don't want to get off the microphone because that means that it's...
Also, if anyone's still listening right now at this point, uh, there are plans for me to move my studio space from Portland to a small town in rural Oregon called Oleander. Uh, but I'm not sure if that's going to happen or not. So, hey, uh, you know, just kind of keep it under your hat. Don't tell anyone about this. It's still in the works. I may have a job at a box factory, I think. Okay, peace. <laughs>